Welcome to the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. We are back to our usual format for the show. So we will be talking today all about ancestral magic, house magic, but we kick off with our book review, which we haven't had for a while. And today we are talking all about the book, Seasons of Moon and Flame, The Wild Dreamer's Epic Journey of Becoming, written by Danielle Dolsky. So this has to be my second favourite book of all time, following on from Women Who Run With The Wolves. It's written in a very similar way, which I believe is probably why I like it, love it so much. Although I cannot recommend this book enough, I also appreciate that it won't be everyone's cup of tea in the sense of the style that it is written, because it's very poetical, it's deep, everything is relayed with wonderful stories. But in addition to that, there are rituals, journal points and ideas to build into your craft that tie into each story. So you can work with this book across a full year Each season has different rituals to work through and takes you through a journey to meet a hag or a crone for each season. So for spring, you visit the house of the garden hag, summer, the desert hag, the sea hag for autumn and the mountain hag for winter. The journeys you go on are so descriptive and absolutely wonderful to read. So the stories are very imaginative, very creative. It's like rediscovering fairy tales, yet these are dark. I loved the story of the soul cages. So this is where a witch keeps all the riches from shipwrecks that she comes across. But in the end, she comes to the rescue. She releases the souls of the sailors that a marrow has been taking There's a Yuletide tale all about two children who go into the woods in search of the witch's house for her to share her stories with them and her story of her former husband's obsession with killing an otherling. So the otherling is a wolf in the woods. There's also the story of the Selkie hag's pelt, all about a shapeshifter who came up onto land and is fascinated with the life of humans She ends up seeing a vision of her life with a pirate and decides to take up life on land. So they're all linked to lots of very old tales. The book really does get deep. It is very otherworldly, extremely original. I found the writing and the stories just breathtaking, like immensely beautiful. But in terms of the practical sense, I'm going to read you a section In regards to how you might want to put together your winter altar, I felt this is very beautiful. The winter altar, wild crafted with infinite trust. The lunar seasons of winter welcome divination and darkness, ritual and reflection. Reverence for the sanctity and preciousness of light runs in our blood on these overchilled days and we tend our many altars with great care and love. 
The wintertide altar is simple, bearing green branches and symbols of enduring trust in self, in others and in the world at large. Choose a luscious and dripping taper candle to stand at the northern edge of the altar. Name this candle prophecy. Place a burn bowl in the yeast holding dried cedar or an earthy incense. At the southern edge, place an object that represents hope to you. This might be a statue of a deity, an oracle card, a crystal, or a photograph of some beloved one in spirit. Lost, in the west, place a small dish or chalice holding water. The directional representations are the altar's bare bones, with potential additions including juniper or cedar branches, pentagrams made from sticks and twine, ethically harvested bones or antlers, or objects sacred to you that represent prosperity, the dark moon, or the wild crone aspects of the divine feminine. The winter altar should evoke feelings of somber ease, holy solitude, half fire, and infinite trust in the ultimate perfection of all things. I love that. And I'm also going to read you the solstice prayer. So this is called Knelt Before the Altar at Wintertide, a solstice prayer. To that floating, crumb-sized spark of dawn nested in an ocean of darkness, to that pinprick of spirit light promising to ripen and swell to fullness after this long midnight ends. I pray to you on this solstice night, the eyes of the ancients are on me and the brilliance of every quiet glowing yule tree ever graced by a babe's wild joy is warming these frigid bones of mine. Knelt before the altar at wintertide, I am, stripped of the weight of last year's wounds and wants, if only for this moment. Give me enduring peace and a long night's rest haunted by stone-faced ghosts who know of this season's solemn magic, who can teach me the ways of the flame tender before I wake, and who speak the language of the sacred trees so eloquently that those bark-skinned and bare-branched friends also bless this ceremonial nap of mine. May I wake a wilder version of this crone-hearted creature I am in this moment, and may I keep a candle burning on my ivory ribcage altar for the wild heathen I once was. So as you can see, it is a real mix. It does get pretty deep, pretty poetical. This is a book I will dive into throughout the year to reread the stories, journal, revisit my altar with new ideas, assist my shadow work, honour each phase of the moon for each season, but also stories I will read and pass on to my daughter. If you are already a lover of Women Who Run With The Wolves, you'll absolutely lap this up. The only thing I will say is to enjoy this book, you must be prepared to really take in the stories. It is the perfect book to read for the autumn and winter months. It takes you to another world, offering escapism with so much given for you to contemplate. I absolutely love it, cannot recommend it enough. Join me after the break to talk all about house magic.
Welcome back. So let's talk all about house magic. Autumn and winter are times when we spend so much time at home. Home becomes very important to us. And for me, it becomes a time when I focus on how much needs to get done within mine. Our environment really does affect our mental well-being. It is our magical space. It provides sanctuary and renewal. Many of us are at home much more this year with everything around the pandemic. So therefore, home has become even more important to us. Our home acts as the primary root of our energy and spirituality. So you may have heard many terms in relation to house magic. You may have heard of halfcraft, which is a spiritual path rooted in the belief that the home is a place where people are nurtured and nourished spiritually, physically and emotionally. This is said to be the home-based portion of spirituality associated with the path of a house witch. Kitchen witchcraft and green witchcraft can also fall within and influence a hearth and home-based practice. I've been working on a lot of house witch type practices this year, or rather being more conscious of treating them as a ritual, not just a chore. I'm also conscious of how much my environment affects my mental health. I find my work so much more improved, easier flowing when my house is tidy. I feel less overwhelmed, more creative, inspired, capable and positive when my home is clean, tidy and organised. It isn't always like that. There are days when it looks like an absolute crack den because I'm just a normal person trying to live a normal life. So yeah, it is a case of trying to keep on top of it. Hearthcraft argues that spirituality begins at home. The word hearth is of old English meaning for the floor around a fireplace or the lower part of a furnace where molten metal would have been collected during the smelting process. The hearth has come to symbolise the heart or centre of a living space. So the term kitchen witch is a much more familiar term nowadays. This generally means someone who practices magic through cooking, baking, general household activities. Halfcraft differentiates from kitchen witchcraft, apparently by emphasising the spiritual aspect that runs through the practice, as opposed to the primarily magical practice of the kitchen witch. The motto behind Halfcraft is living your life as a spiritual act. So I love the idea of Halfcraft in making the everyday somewhat magical. We all have certain tasks that we actually enjoy doing and, you know, can make more spiritual. So some of mine are like, you know, making tea or coffee, baking, mopping. That always feels somewhat meditative to me. I also like to do things that my nan liked to do, like reusing things in my home to make, you know, everything pretty. So doing things like reusing like old ribbons, I use them and tie them onto like glass cake stands, jam jars, things like that. If there's anything I can repaint, upcycle or redo, I am there for it. I love the concept of taking something really crappy, doing it up, making it magical just through a little bit of pain and, you know, resources that you've got kicking about. Making use of what you have is a big part of the spiritual side of half craft. The spiritual half revolves around the energy and atmosphere within your home, which can all be cultivated by your positivity and behavior within your home. So it's not so much the physical rearranging or redecorating side, but just making the most of what you have.
The home is recognized as being sacred, so set apart from the outside world. The hearth is a further sacred space, so the central fire of home. The hearth is seen as a sacred fire. And fire is seen as sacred in many cultures. Sacred means to be touched by the realms of the gods in some way. The hearth is therefore seen as where the spiritual world intersects with the everyday and a place or object where communication can take place. Fire is, of course, seen as sacred. It is a symbol of vitality. So it is more alive than any of the other three elements we work with. And its nature is that it has a mind of its own. It sleeps, it eats, it dies. It has always played an important part within religion. It's a symbol of spiritual energy, as is the sun. And as a spiritual symbol, fire illuminates personal, emotional and spiritual darkness. Fire in the past was a source of, that sounded like fire in the park, the bit off of um, Stormzy's song. <laughs> fire in the past uh, was a source of light and warmth and to cook our food. So you can see why half craft was such a central part for the craft. Starting fires was a lengthy process. You would constantly have been planning to keep the fire alight. So, you know, to keep your whole home up and running. No fire meant no warmth, no ability to cook, lack of protection and so on. Think of Vasilisa in our Baba Yaga story where she was sent to the witch for a flame. In Ireland in the past, it is said that the only time the household fire was intentionally allowed to go out was at Beltane. So beginning of May, a main fire would be lit at Tara, the central spiritual centre rather of Ireland, lit by the Druids or the King. And from this fire, all the households would symbolically relight their fires and this was for unity throughout the kingdom, but also to acknowledge the spiritual power of the king or the druids. Fire is my favourite element to work with. You might have seen on my Instagram stories, I usually have a little fire going on in my cauldron on my altar. So I have an old fireplace. I'm in an old Victorian home. However, it's not a fire, like a working fireplace, which makes me really sad you might want to use your cauldron, if you have one, as a source of your own fire within your home. Whatever you do, make sure your cauldron is strong enough to handle intense heat. It needs to be made from cast iron or a similar material that withstands heat. I simply burn incense sticks in my cauldron. Once they burn down to the bottom, they pick up with the ashes and other bits of incense sticks in the bottom and just starts up a little fire. It's really dangerous. I'm not going to recommend it on here, but that's all I do with mine to get mine going. But you can create proper cauldron fires. And I've used a lot of the information today from the book The House Witch by Aaron Murphy Hiscock. We reviewed this on the podcast previously. And in there, she does give you a way of holding fires in your cauldron using rubbing alcohols and so on. So you might want to have a little look at that if that is something that you want to do. There is an episode from a while back that I did all about cauldrons if you want to have a listen. You might wish to decide on where the heart of your home is, so the spiritual half of your home. You might decide it's your kitchen, you might decide it's your dining room as that's where everyone seems to gravitate towards. It might just be a random spot that feels the most sacred. It is entirely up to you. 
You may wish to create an altar or shrine within this specific area. Some kitchen witches will have a shrine within the kitchen, so a kitchen witch altar. This might be a second altar in addition to perhaps one you already have in your room or another part of the house. In terms of the space you have designated as a spiritual hearth, you might want to carry out a purification or blessing or a ritual to signify this is the hearth for your home. You might wish to work with specific deities or your ancestors when it comes to your own hearthcraft. So deities that are linked to the home, you have, you've got Hestia. So she is the Greek goddess of the hearth. She is known for preserving the sanctity of the home, keeping it a place of spiritual renewal. She was the essence of the home and an example of how holy the hearth and hearth fire were considered to be and how sacred the home as a temple was for a family. Her presence is symbolized by a fire burning on a hearth or altar and Hestia is rarely portrayed in ideology as she is understood to be the flame itself. If she is portrayed, she is shown with a flowering branch, a kettle, torch or cauldron shaped pot. So the most well known is Brigid, the much loved Irish goddess of the home. She appears in Irish mythology as a member of the Tuatha de Danann and she is the daughter of Dagda. So she has three aspects as a smith, healer and a poet. So this suggests she was a triple deity strongly associated with the element of fire and to a lesser degree to water. She is a really popular goddess to work with for the home. She is the goddess of healers, poets, blacksmiths, childbirth and inspiration. She was worshipped originally as a goddess, later as a saint by a circle of 19 virgins, originally 19 priestesses, then later nuns, who tended her eternal flame in Kildare Island. So these women were called the Virgin Daughters of the Fire. They were called uh, Ingian or Dag Daga. Oh, let's just not do the pronunciations today. I'm not. I'm not on it. But as firekeepers were Briochwit. Yeah, I'm going with that. So sorry. I'm like murdering these pronunciations today. I am trying, but I'm murdering it at the same time. It is thought that Kildare might have originally been a brooding, so a place of magical cauldron and perpetual fires, which is said to have disappeared when Christianity took hold. And being in the broodings now means being in the fairies, so being with the fairies. I got really confused on this bit of research. Sorry, I tried. I looked at loads of different sites, but... I think like some of it should hopefully piece together. Anyway, Bridget's shrine at Kildare was active into the 18th century when it was closed by the monarchy. And in February 1996, the intention to keep it burning perpetually began again. So it is still up and running. And originally the nuns would have taken turns, or they still do rather, to keep the flame alight on the 20th day, the flame would survive untended by any of the priestesses or the nuns. And it was said that this was Bridget herself tending the flame for that day. We got there in the end. Other goddesses are Eartha, a domestic deity from Northern Europe. So she is associated with earth, abundance, fate, 
peace and is said to be a Germanic version of Mother Earth. In myths, she is a mother of the three Norns. So these are triplet sisters who control fate and destiny. Therefore, divination was often a half-side activity. So this association makes sense. I don't know if you've listened to the episode I did before with the Christmas witches, but Eartha is said to have flown through the smoke of the kitchen fire to leave small presents for each family at the winter solstice. More pronunciations. Gabija is a Lithuanian goddess of the half-fire. She is a protector of the household. The half-fire was believed to be a purifying energy that would protect the house from unclean creatures and people. Similar to the Celtic tradition at Midsummer, the fire would be extinguished and relit through a ritual every Midsummer. The tradition would also be to leave beer or a cup of water for Gabija as an offering. In the evening when the fire was banked or smored, so smored is where you preserve a fire in some way so it can be revived the next morning, women of the household would pray to Gabija for good fortune and safety for the family. Frigga, Freya, Frigga. F-R-I-G-G-A, Frigga, I'm going to, I should have like researched how to pronounce this and I'm sorry. Frigga can be found in Norse mythology and she is known as Frigg in some sources. She is a domestic goddess, wife to Odin, we all know how to pronounce him, and she is considered a goddess of marriage, love, fertility, motherhood and all domestic tasks. I like her. She isn't subservient but powerful and she shares... <laughs> Halikskalf, which is Odin's high seat that looks out over the world, and she is the only other god allowed to sit in this throne-like chair. Halikskalf, I'm going with that. Frigga holds the gift of prophecy but keeps the knowledge of the future to herself. This demonstrates her power but also how much knowledge she held about the land and areas under her domain. Frigga has companions such as Er, E-I-R, the goddess of healing. Helin, who is a goddess of protection. And Na is a goddess of messages and communication. And Fool, who is another fertility goddess. And all of her companions are linked to domestic life. Symbols associated with Frigga are the spinning wheel, also mistletoe as it possesses healing, fertility and protective powers. I will outline the names of these deities in the show notes to save the embarrassment of you trying to Google someone that I clearly have no ability to pronounce. I actually had to stop recording and go off and check how you pronounce Frigga and I actually got it right. Who knew? I just butchered the rest of it. But anyway, so you might opt to work with household spirits within your home. These are guardians who defend your home or a specific part of it or the members of your family. So the spirits are not deities or mythological creatures. They would be unique to your family and half. They can be spirits of a place or perhaps related to ancestors. So cultural associations with household spirits are usually honoured through various foods or drinks, small figures or paintings. So overall, yeah, household spirits are said to be protectors of the home, family members and to also provide prosperity. So many European cultures have retained household spirits. 
many featuring folk tales, but to this day, they are still honoured and remembered through cultural tradition. So many of these spirits would be male, hairy, human-shaped, but in smaller proportion. They tend to be benevolent unless they are provoked through disrespect. So you might want to look into household spirits associated with your cultural ancestry. You might even opt to welcome them into your home, providing you are prepared to treat them really well. So our ancestors would have focused some of their routines and customs on appeasing the spirits in nature and their homes. It really was viewed as reality, not superstition. Some household spirits that I can give you an example of, so you've got the brownie, which originates from Scotland and England, a familiar household spirit that is usually naked or dressed in rags, said to be the most helpful household spirit who should receive no other sign of appreciation than a dish of milk, fresh bread or cake, or the brownie will leave forever. You are not allowed to say thank you or provide new clothes for them, and you're not allowed to criticise them. So Cranshaw Castle in Scotland is said to be home to a household brownie. So other information I found in relation to the brownie in Scotland is that he was a small man who would help the lady of the house with her unfinished chores as long as she was pure of heart and a hard worker. He would shapeshift into a rooster to alert the family that he was going to bed and it was their time to get up. So you've got the bogger. They are said to originate from England in the North Country region, but I know of you know, different stories from Ireland and so on that they're there too. But anyway, they are either helpful or malevolent. They don't have physical forms. They like to play tricks on people, often exhibiting poltergeist-like behaviour. You've also got the hob, which is an English house spirit, much like a brownie, and they focus on one specific task within the home, they're given the name the hob, like the flat part on a range or stove top. And the hob is also known as a hobgoblin, which is sometimes considered a nature spirit. You've also got the monacello, which is an Italian house spirit who is said to look like the Irish leprechaun. But he is there to watch over the family wine cellar because we all have that problem. Monticello is known as the little monk. He would get drunk on the family wine from time to time, but if you piss him off, you could find your entire stock has gone bad. So some believe that household fairies were actually demons or familiars in disguise. So obviously disbelief equals disappearance. So many now do not believe in household spirits. However, it was a strong belief in former times when things were wild, the spirits abounded. It is said that now we live in more man-made industrialized times. The nature spirits leave when their habitat is destroyed. Also in history, our ancestors would have often passed homes down to us so there would have been an ancestral history with a home and therefore household spirits passed down too. It is said that if you believe and care for nature, you can attract nature spirits and household gods. Household spirits are considered more like mischievous spirits that need to be kept content to avoid ill fortune or obstacles in daily life. In some cases, like with a brownie, you couldn't acknowledge the spirit in order to keep it content. So in terms of offerings, you can leave out basic foods such as like bread or porridge or a portion of the meal that you are making for your family. 
If you're a kitchen witch and have an altar in your kitchen, you might opt to leave an offering there for your deities, household spirits or ancestors. Alternatively, just you can leave it where you have set as your hearth or your altar. It's said that you should decide how much to leave for the spirit, but too much can indicate that you have more than enough and do not need any help. It is said that you should leave the offering overnight and dispose of what's left in the morning. And it is, of course, said that spirits, deities, ancestors take the energy of the offering. They are aware of you making the action of putting it out for them and they appreciate the respect and acknowledgement you've shown. So household spirits were said to very rarely reveal themselves to the household members. But if they did, they would show up as a child or a little man, sometimes as a red-haired adult, or they might show up as an animal or an object like a kettle or a fire poker. So to finish off this segment, I thought I would relay a house blessing that I took from the book The House Witch, written by Arian Murphy Hiscock. This is a brilliant book in regards to Halfcraft, and we did review it on a former episode. So this is a full-length, multi-step ritual to bless your home. It's basic. It uses the four physical elements of earth, water, air, and fire to purify and bless the structure and the space. So things you will need, you'll need your cleaning supplies, some incense, matches or a lighter, candle and a candle holder, any colour of your choice for the candle, a small cup of water and a pinch of salt. So start by repairing whatever needs to be repaired in your home, thoroughly clean walls, floors, windows, cupboards, stairs and so forth. As you do move counterclockwise through your home, finishing by sweeping dirt out the back door and shaking dust rags and emptying wash water out the back door as well. So beginning at the physical analogue of your spiritual hearth, you will want to light your incense. You may wish to use something like frankincense, sandalwood or cedar. They would work well, but anything that you've got. So carry the incense clockwise through your home, going through each room. Don't forget to waft the smoke into cupboards and behind doors as well. And as you do, say, with fire and air, I bless this house. So return to the hearth with your incense and replace it there. Then light the candle, carry it clockwise through each room of the home, as well as saying, with light and flame, I bless this house. Then return the candle to the hearth, take your cup of water, add the salt to it, carry it clockwise through each room of the house again. So dip your finger in the salt water and touch the outside of each door frame, then the inside and the frame of each window and cupboard saying, with water and salt, I bless this house. If you prefer, rather than simply touching your finger to the frame or the door, you can draw a simple symbol that represents blessings to you. Then return the water to the hearth. So stand at your hearth and say, fire, water, air and earth, bless my home and all those who dwell in it. Join me after the break to talk all about ancestral magic. Welcome back. So let's talk all about ancestral magic. 
The Vow is particularly thin throughout the dark seasons and a great time to consider ancestral witchcraft. This practice can provide us with protection, guidance and help us within our magic. Similar principles to working with and honouring deities, except with an ancestor who holds our same blood and DNA. I say this with caution though, because in the same breath, many of us have people within our lineage that we would have classed as family without sharing blood or DNA. So I encourage you to work with anyone within your history that was considered as family. With similarities to the morning ritual I discussed on another recent podcast episode, you might wish to incorporate a form of daily devotion to converse with your ancestors, perhaps just lighting a candle and some incense at a time that works for you during your day, telling them how life looks right now, seeing if they might support you with any of your endeavours. You might also wish to ask them for support when performing rituals or spell work. Ancestral magic doesn't just have to be for Samhain. I regularly talk to my like my nanny Rose. I miss her dearly, but I also recall her telling me when I was younger that she talked to my granddad daily following his passing. So I know this is a form of communication hopefully she is likely to be open to on the other side. So over Samhain, the focus for me was honouring my ancestors at my altar I played some Louis Armstrong for my granddad, Dennis, visualising him swishing about whiskey in a tumbler as he enjoyed the music. This is something I will continue to do going forward to honour him. I will continue to bake treats for my daughter while listening to some Vera Lynn. That was my grandma's favourite singer and read and appreciate the recipes she left for me. So you might wish to add items to your altar, same as you would for a deity. So perhaps heirlooms they might have passed down to you, perhaps add their favourite flowers, foods, herbs, alcohol or even perfume. So for my grandma, I think I will add some tea in a teacup and some roses. Lighting candles is a wonderful way to honour your ancestors as you light the candles. You can say your ancestors' names aloud and thank them for their influence on your life. So working with your ancestors might look like honouring ancestors you have never met before, perhaps someone in your lineage who was a witch or just seems fascinating to you. So you might put out that you wish to honour your lineage and see if any messages come through as to who you might be working with. You don't have to know your ancestor's name to work with them, although it might help. So an ancestor that I have ran away to sea with a Norwegian sea captain after he spent a few days in the local port. So she gave up her mundane life here in the UK. And she sounds like the kind of wild woman who went for what her heart desired that I can appreciate. I can't say appreciate today. So if you do know the names of those that you work with, perhaps you might wish to say or pray their name three times to activate lines of connection when you wish to converse. So my aunt seems to think somewhere down the line we are related to Swedish royalty, lol. Although I'm pretty sure our lineage is pretty working class, something I'll always be proud of. So my granddad was adopted and 
it always saddened our family that he never got to know his lineage before he passed. You might wish to put together a family tree of your own. And this isn't for anyone. Like in the case of my granddad, this could prove to be a task that throws up all sorts of emotions. If you are curious, though, you might wish to trace your family history and put together the pieces of your ancestral stories. Some Buddhist sects believe that if one forgets their ancestors entirely, they can turn into hungry ghosts. Perhaps even more reason to honour and take care of them and allow them to help you in return. You may discover certain traditions within your family lines that you were never aware of. Parents and grandparents often hold tales of their past that we have no idea about that can become sacred to us. So you might even come across traditions that you wish to recreate or you could even start some of your own for you know, our ancestors in the future and document them perhaps in your grimoire to pass down. After all, we hold the DNA and blood of our former relatives in our veins. They are a part of us. They can help you in times of turmoil and sadness, but perhaps also warn you of any danger and show us lessons to be learned. You might even wish to call on them when you carry out your tarot or oracle readings something I'm not sure my nanny Rose will assist with. She was always scared of my tarot cards. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Just before I go, I wanted to say thank you as ever so much. I came second in the 2020 Witches Award for Outstanding New Podcast of the Year. And I can't even believe I was nominated. Like that absolutely blows my mind. It was the only UK witchcraft podcast in the category as well. I know we have like loads of American listeners, loads of Canadian listeners, but that was really exciting for me just even to kind of get on that list. Unreal. So many of my absolute witchy heroes were there. So anyway, thank you so much. If you nominated me, if you voted, I'm so bloody grateful. Anyway, if you want to find any of my work, come on over to www.thewhitewitchcompany.co.uk. You can sign up on there for a newsletter. There is information in regards to the Literary Witches Coven. We have a monthly call where we discuss the book that we have read for that month. And actually, the book that we are reading currently is A Secret History of Witches, which is a fictional book all about the lineage of the Orkier family, which is a wonderful book and certainly ties into the theme of today's episode. So aside from that, thank you so much. There's been so many new reviews. I'm so grateful. Anything that you can do in regards to reviews, if you have left me a review already, thank you so much. If you haven't and you are happy to, I'd be very grateful. It means that more and more people can find the show. So, witches, have a fantastic week. I will catch up with you all soon. Lots of witchy love. <laughs>